information out for both of those here really shortly. And on New Year's Eve, we'll be doing our prophecy update as we have done for 11 or 12 straight years here. So uh, we'll see what's going on in the world. And it's interesting that we are uh, finding ourselves where we are in the book of Joel. So if you turn there to Joel chapter 2, and we're going to pray in a moment. I want to remind you that your Bible is very, very, very specific about what the world's going to look like as the age of grace draws to a close. It's very specific in who will be in power, what world powers are going to be on the rise, which ones will be on the wane. It is extremely, absolutely defined as to what the consortium of nations uh, will be that will rise up in the last days to kind of take the forefront on the world stage. And most importantly, we can look at Israel as God's timepiece. Because it really is the nation Israel that sets the stage uh, for everything that's going to be happening as the world uh, begins to unwind. And and I I am going to briefly, for a moment, kind of step off here so I can use my pointer. Uh, You can't quite see the name, but that's basically Damascus right there. Okay. As far as God's concerned, in the book of Ezekiel, when he defined what the land would look like after Ezekiel, Damascus is clear down here. So as you can see, there's kind of a huge difference between what God said and what exists in our world today. And in fact, modern-day Israel in this area right here, this is what's known as the West Bank. So if you're not familiar uh, with Israel, this is what's known as the Golan Heights. That's the Sea of Galilee right there. So on Sunday morning, we're talking about this area of the upper end of the Sea of Galilee. The reason I'm doing this as we get into this study tonight A lot of people don't realize that the book of Joel, the book of Daniel, and the book of Ezekiel all give you some clues about what's going to be happening as the world begins to unravel in the very last days. If you look at this area right here, Israel in this area is less than five miles wide. So when our president says we need to give up more land, you can politely tell him he's out of his mind. uh, Because there is no land. This is the Palestinian territory. To give you an idea... Uh, The whole nation of Israel is about the size of San Bernardino County. So if you look at this chunk of land, which now sits inside, Jerusalem is down in here in this little finger, um, this part of Israel is about 30 miles wide. So they can't give up more land. And in fact, as far as God's concerned, in the last days, the land of Israel puts Damascus there in the region of the tribe of Naphtali. And right now it's in Syria right there, well outside of the bounds uh, of modern-day Israel. So God's going to be doing some rearranging of the nations. And the way he's going to do that and accomplish that is through the things that transpire in the very last days. The book of Joel actually gives us insight into those. Let me see if I can have that next slide. What happens ultimately, and the reason that I'm putting this up here, is you all know Ezekiel 38 and 39. We've studied it here. As you look at Ezekiel 38 and 39, what you have is a consortium of nations that are primarily run by Russia, by proxy. And if you know anything about the world government right now and the way it's set up, uh, you have Iran right now, which is a very large nation. A lot of people don't realize how big Iran is. Uh, There's little tiny Israel right there. Uh, That is Iran. From that point of Israel, which they're building a brand spanking new missile base about right there, Uh, From there to there, flight time is about 4 minutes and 30 seconds to Tel Aviv. Uh, Iran has been, since 2008, been working on possessing nuclear weapons. They're very close. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has said um, they'll go it alone. He just said that again today. He says we're not going to let Iran uh, get a nuclear weapon because if you, as I've shared with you before, when you look at the nation Israel, Almost half of the population of Israel lives in one city, Tel Aviv. Uh, if you take in Haifa, uh, because they're not going to bomb Jerusalem. Jerusalem is uh, the third most holy site in Islam, so that's not going to get hit with a nuke. But what will likely get hit with a nuke would be Tel Aviv and Haifa. Haifa is the port uh, that holds all of the Israeli navy. And so Tel Aviv holds all of its citizenry. And so what will happen is these nations will begin to come into uh, some sort of alignment. So now look at the nations as they're described, and we're going to see them here in just a moment in Ezekiel 38 and 39. 
there is a kingdom that will be north, and we know where that is. That's news from the north. Daniel chapter 2 tells us this. We're going to look at that passage tonight a little bit because it ties directly in. But if you look at the nations that surround Israel currently and where they are on the world stage, what you have is this battle, the battle of Gog, the battle of Magog, is actually already set up. Uh, if you look at, there's, there's modern day Jordan. Of course, all of the Russian republics, which now are individual countries, the, the stands, Azerbaijan, Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, Kazakhstan, Tajikistan, and Turkmenistan. So if you say those fast, uh, you know your world's history, so, and your geography. Um, but you have a couple of those nations that are currently controlled by the United States. And that would be Iraq and Afghanistan. You have Pakistan, which is a nuclear-armed nation. You have Saudi Arabia, which is clearly... Next slide, please. What will ultimately happen is in Joel chapter 2, the army of the north is going to descend and begin to attack Israel. Um, a lot of things are going to transpire in a very short period of time. You all know it in the very last days. We're going to get to that in chapter 3 as the battle of Armageddon ensues. What eventually is going to happen is all of these nations will actually declare war against Israel. That hasn't happened yet. But what I can tell you is that all of those nations are currently in allegiance one with another, and they absolutely hate Israel. And they have hated Israel for quite some time. Since the founding of the UN, the UN spent about a third of its time debating one little tiny nation, that nation being Israel. And so as you look at what's going on in the world today, you can easily see how these nations, Tagarma, Javan, Meshach, Tubal, uh, Egypt, Sheba, Dedan, uh, Ethiopia, Cush, those are all Muslim areas. Every last one of them are Muslim-controlled countries. There's not a single non-Muslim nation that's listed there. Uh, the whole south of Russia is now Muslim-controlled. You know them as Chechen rebels. They're primarily Muslims. Uh, next slide, please. And so ultimately, by the time we get to Joel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 11, you're going to have a massive influx of the armies of those regions of the world into a very, very tiny place. And one last battle is going to ensue. And it comes up next in Joel chapter 3, the battle of Armageddon. And so tonight, we're picking up in chapter 2. You give me that first slide in the... Remaining study. The Spirit will be poured out in the last days. How many people believe right now that Israel is a Christian nation? I didn't think so. How many people right now even believe that they're largely Orthodox Jews? They're not even Orthodox Jews. They're largely atheists. Most Jews have no faith. There is a small population of Orthodox Jews... There are Jews by nationality and Jews by tradition, but very few practicing Jews. The synagogues are largely places to get together and have bingo. Uh, they're, they're more, than, more than half of them are unoccupied on Sabbath because they have more synagogues than they do people to attend them. But your Bible says, and we'll pick it up tonight, that there will come a point in time when the nation Israel is going to have the Spirit poured out upon it. The only way that that can happen is that they become saved. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this time tonight, and we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Lord, we pray for that little tiny nation uh, that Your Word declares is Your people, and it is Your land. And God, You made a covenant with them which You will not break. Lord, You won't allow to be broken. And so, Lord, as we turn our attention to your word, would you cause us to see our world through your eyes? Would you help us to understand, Lord, the times, the seasons, the days in which we live, as your word declares that we're supposed to do as the body of Christ? And so, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us tonight, empower us, Lord, to be your witnesses in this world. We pray that you would raise up a standard over these nations that are going to rise. We pray that people would come to know you, Lord, so that when that bell sounds, Lord, when the trumpet from heaven opens up the heavens and you descend, that people will rise to meet you because they know you. Lord, save the lost. Lord, use us, Lord, to preach your gospel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 20, Joel chapter 2. Now you will understand why I opened with those first four slides that show you what's going to happen 
but I will remove far from you the northern army. In that day and time, the Assyrian army would come from the north, but they would actually not be a northern army. They would be an eastern army. They would have come directly from the east. They would have descended from the north. And what follows clearly puts this whole remaining passage, uh, all of the remainder of chapter 2 and all of chapter 3 of the book of Joel, at a time that is to us still yet future. But I will remove far from you the northern army, and I will drive him away into a barren and a desolate land, with his face towards the eastern sea and his back towards the western sea, and his stench will come up, and his foul odor will rise because he has done monstrous things. And so it begins to unfold before us exactly how terrible those last days will be. These are those passages that when we read them, we almost have a tough time reconciling them with the character of God. It is difficult to understand how God allows these things that would we would call global conflicts to ensue. But we do know that the last days, when they do finally come, as we've seen the day of the Lord comes, that it's going to be a global problem. It is not going to be a regional problem. And it's going to require a global solution. One of the reasons that I am personally so fearful of the direction that our country is going right now is because we are heading towards globalism. And the reason that bothers me is because the only way to be aligned in the last days in a global sense is to align yourself with the Antichrist. That's where it goes. That's what your Bible says. That's not what Jeff Gill says. That's not what Calvary Chapel says. That's not what Evangelical Christendom says. Your Bible says that in the last days, the entire world will come against, ultimately, God's people, Israel. And they will do that through a global system of government, a global system of money, and a global system of religion. And so now we see why these passages are so important that we put them together. And it says, fear not, O land. And notice he addresses the land. We're going to see in chapter 3 that the land that belonged to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, that land described uh, is the land that Ezekiel saw restored to the children of Israel. That land is God's land. It belongs to him. It doesn't belong to Syria. It actually doesn't even belong to Israel. It belongs to God. God gave it to Israel as an inheritance. That's what your Bible says. And so he says, Fear not, O land. Be glad. Rejoice. For the Lord has done, contrary to the disastrous things that will come from the Antichrist, the Lord has done great things, marvelous things. Do not be afraid, you beasts of the field. For the open pastures are springing up. The trees will bear its fruit. The fig trees, the vines will yield their strength. Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. For he has given you former the rain faithfully. And he will cause the rain to come down to you, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. And the threshing floors will be full of wheat and the vats shall be overflowed with new wine and oil. And so I will restore you to the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, the chewing locust, and my great army which I sent among you. Now, I want you to understand something. God has, from the very beginning, said that he has used kings and kingdoms for his purposes. It is hard for us to understand. It's tough for us to wrap our mind around how God could use something as terrible as the Holocaust or how God could use something as terrible as the Babylonian invasion or the Assyrian invasion or the rise of Alexander the Great or the Medes or the Persians under Cyrus. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around that. But God has faithfully used throughout time and will continue throughout time to use what we would call disastrous armies that will come and cause great destruction for his plans and for his purposes. And the reason being is the hardness of men's heart. As we look at the world today, as I've shared with you so many times, the world is not getting better and it will not get better. That's what your Bible says. It's not what I say. It's not what I think. Your Bible says that in the last days, 
things will wax worse and worse. So much so that one day, as Jesus said in the Olivet Discourse, that men will call good evil and evil good. That there will be wars and rumors of wars. And so, from your Bible's perspective, the whole thought process and concept of world peace is a little bit tough to find. Not because God doesn't want it, He just knows what it's going to take to bring it, and it's going to be Jesus returning to the earth that's going to actually accomplish that. Until then, there's going to be periods of peace, followed by times of war. And Jesus Himself made that very clear. And so God put a great army amongst them. And first He calls for some rejoicing here, and I want you to look very carefully if you will, at what's being said here, because it's important that we understand that the last days uh, are described in multiple different books. Some people say, well, it doesn't say that there. That's why you need to know your Bible and not just the book of Ezekiel and not just the book of Daniel and not just the book of Joel, not just the book of Revelation or the book of Isaiah. They are a cumulative story, much like the Gospels themselves, as we see in the Gospel of Luke, There are 19 parables in Luke that are not in Matthew. And yet the Beatitudes, which are in both, are abbreviated in Luke's Gospel. They provide a backdrop so we can get a broader understanding of the scope of what God's trying to say to us. And so here, uh, the prophetic vision that Joel puts forth would certainly apply to the Assyrian invasion, which in Joel's time was still future. Of course God would bring the Assyrians. And then God would bring the Babylonians, followed by the Greeks, followed by the Romans, followed by Adolf Hitler, followed by the current persecution that's going on of the Jews all over the world. They're still the world's most universally hated group of people. That's happened. But as we look at what God's Word says here, we we get a very, very, very concise picture But God's talking about something extremely specific. And so, many years later, this northern army, Ezekiel would speak of this northern army. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 38 to verse 1. You can find exactly the same vision uh, as you look at Daniel chapter 2. And for sake of time, we'll not go there tonight. But Daniel chapter 2, you can mark that down. He is also in Daniel chapter 11 called the king of the north. And so as you look at these kings and kingdoms, and now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog, the land of Magog. Very well established in a theologic sense that that speaks of what we call modern day Russia. Notice the cities. These are all in the areas of the southern portion of the Russian Republic itself. The prince of Rosh, Meshach, Tubal. And prophesy against him and say, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am against you, O God, prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. I will turn you around. I'll put hooks in your jaws and lead you out. All your army, your horses, your horsemen, splendidly clothed with great company, with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. And then notice the rest of the nations. And this is why it's so important, again, to know your Bible. Who will join together with this northern army? Persia. That's modern-day Iran. Matter of fact, until 1979, they were known as Persia, not Iran. Persia, Ethiopia, Libya are with them. What's the pervasive leadership in those countries? Of course, it's entirely... Muslim, specifically Muslim Brotherhood, specifically radical Islam, if you will. They're with them, with their helmet, their shield. Gomer, that's all the way up into the southern parts of Europe. All of its truce. The house of Togarma is taking in basically uh, almost everything that is to the north of Israel. From the far north and all of its troops and many people are with you. Here's what's going to happen at some point in time. That You remember that giant image that we studied in Daniel chapter uh, 2 there in verse 31. 
And in fact, Daniel interprets the dream and he says to the king, he says, you, O king, are the head of gold. And he begins to tell us that these pieces of this giant image are nothing more than world kingdoms. He establishes that they are the rulers of the kingdoms that would come and they would specifically be against the Jewish people. He names them by their basic characteristics, which we know them by. The Silver Empire was, in fact, the Persians and the Medes after them, followed by the Bronze Age of the Greek, followed by the Iron Age of Rome, followed by a reconstituted Iron Age uh, that would come later in time, which already exists in the world, and that would be that, that European consortium of nations, which may well be the EU, but it's certainly pointing towards a kind of marginalized Christian worldview that exists in a vast majority of the world to this day. And so these nations would be raised up and they would begin to uh, look for global solutions to the world's problems. And as we, as we look at what the book of Revelation says in the last days, uh, if you know your Bible, in Daniel chapter 9, it says of the Antichrist that the Antichrist will make a covenant with the nation Israel to do several things, to restore the temple, to restore worship, and to restore the sacrifices. Uh, does anybody know if since the temple was destroyed and sacked, as Titus burned Rome in A.D. 70, has there been a temple on the Temple Mount? The answer to that question is no. And so, because it did not exist from that time to this, it is still speaking of a time yet future that there will be a governor of the world, if you will, that will come on the scene. We know him as the Antichrist. And he will gather together all of the nations of the world, and it specifically says in Daniel's prophecy that those first three and a half years of what we know as the tribulation will be times of peace. Can I suggest to you that the thing that the Antichrist will initially solve will be this attack that will happen to Israel? And he will make a covenant with them. He says, look, I'm going to be your defender. He's going to look like a good guy. And then it says that he will break the covenant with them. And then literally all hell will break loose. But that northern army will come. If you know anything that's going on in, in the world of politics today, you know that probably more so than the United States of America, if there's anybody leading in that region of the world right now, it's guess who? It's the Russians. Who brokered the peace treaty that kept us from launching Tomahawk cruise missiles into Syria? The Russians. Who's keeping us from attacking the nuclear facilities in Iran? The Russians. Who's keeping us out of the stands? The Russians. They have their all of their spaceport. We're actually launching our satellites from Russian soil. Did you know that? We're actually in cahoots now with the Russians because we have so dumbed down America that we're no longer spending money because they consider it worthless to have space exploration. Things like NASA are not being funded while we're funding the National Endowment for the Arts. We're heading towards globalism, and we have been for quite some time. And the reason that that's important to us is your Bible says that that's how the very last days are set up. That's what the world looks like. Ezekiel 39 says this in verses 7 through 10, And so I will make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel. He is God's name known in the midst of the people of Israel right now. The answer is no. It's not. He's barely even mentioned. And I will not let them profane my holy name anymore. So I shared with you when we were in Israel in April. One of the stunning things to find out is the ultra-Orthodox Jews that actually control almost all of the prostitution and gambling in Israel. That doesn't sound like they're in charge of making sure God's name is lifted on high. Amen? I shared with you that while I was at the Wailing Wall, I was cussed out by an Orthodox rabbi because I defiled the wall. I mean, he's screaming vulgarities at me. Not exactly honoring to the Lord. 
It is this place that the world will eventually find itself. And then the nation shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. Circle that word in. Because it's very important that this is actually in the nation Israel. Not just to the Jewish people wherever they are in the world, but in the land. Of course you know that the nation Israel has only been a nation since 1948. So for nearly 2,000 years, they were not in the land. This passage could not have been true prior to 1948 because they had been kicked out, dispersed. They were not there, were not a people, and were not actually speaking their own language in their own country. All things that your Bible says must happen in the last days. Surely it's coming, and it shall be done, says the Lord, for this is the day of which I have spoken. And then those who dwell in the cities of Israel will go out and set on fire and burn the weapons, the shields, the bucklers, the bows, the arrows, the javelins, the spears, and they will make fires with them for seven years. That is the weirdest thing I've ever heard. They're going to gather up all the refuse of the battle, of this great battle, and they're going to be able to burn it for seven years for fuel. I can tell you right now, I don't care how many tanks you try and light on fire, they don't burn for seven years. I don't care how many bows and arrows you might gather. If you buried them, it's been estimated that if you were to take this literally and figuratively speaking, looking at an army that has never existed that was carrying bows and arrows and shields, in order for a pile of bows and arrows and shields to be in the valley of Megiddo, in other words, that little tiny valley that's only 65 miles long at its longest point, it's only 13 miles wide at its widest point, if you were to pile up bows, arrows, and shields two and a half miles deep, and you set them in piles, you, you took them somewhere else and lit them, because if you know anything about fire, fire triangle, you have to have oxygen, you have to have heat, and you have to have fuel. Okay, so you can't just pile them up because they won't burn and smolder. So if you took them and you pile them up, they'd have to be two and a half miles deep to even have a chance to burn for seven years. Mm, I'm thinking that's probably not what they're talking about. But what does last for a very long time and what can be burned for very long periods of time, and of course that would be spent nuclear fuel, things that we would look at at that point in time and go, oh, that can't happen. But now we live in a day and an age and a time when these things are very possible. And they will not take wood from the field nor cut it down from the forest because they'll make fires with the weapons. Notice it specifically says the weapons themselves. And they will plunder those who plundered them and pillage those who pillaged them, says the Lord your God. And of course, as Ezekiel seeing this, this guy's, this guy's writing 2,000, almost 600 years ago. He would have nothing to compare it to. There was... Nobody wandering around going, well, that's a nuclear power station, and that's a nuclear submarine, and that's a nuclear aircraft carrier, and that's a nuclear destroyer, which we just launched one not too long ago, and those are nuclear missiles, and these are bombs that can blow up, you know, hundreds of square miles all at once. He wouldn't have known that. But what he would have known, and as he, the envision unfolded before him, is he would have seen this ability to, to use the refuse of the battle uh, for fuel. And so I believe that this northern army, I believe that this group that's being talked about, is as terrible as the Assyrian invasion was, it could not have possibly fulfilled this prophecy in its, in, in its entirety. And so ultimately, it's talking about something that's coming at a much later date and time. You see, God has always had a problem with mankind's sin. And God has repeatedly punished mankind, specifically the Jewish people, for turning their backs on God. One of the reasons that we fight, I have fought, you all have fought, so hard for a biblical worldview and to really live out our faith, is there hasn't been a nation in human history that's ever turned its back on God, that survived. They have all, 100% of the time, perished from the face of the earth. So when we read there in Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and you know the rest of the verse, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will heal them 
It goes on to say, I'll heal their land. The problem is, is that God is always taking a very dim view of those who have turned their backs on God. It's not beneficial. It's never worked. And so it seems to set the stage for us to understand that what Joel 2 begins with and then transitions into and then ultimately gets to chapter 3 and describes in great detail is what it's going to look like when the end is very close. And so we pick up now in verse 26. He says, I'm going to pour out, you notice in this last passage, and I'm going to pour out the former rain, the latter rain. You, you see what he's really saying is he says, I've been good all the time. I've taken care of you from day one. I, I made it rain in March and April. I'll make it rain in October and November. I'm taking care of it. You won't bear fruit. You won't bear crops unless I do that. God says, I'm doing my part. The question is, are we doing ours? Are, are we living in a way that honors the Lord? It's a question for the world, not just for us. It's a question for the world because these things have global implications. You cannot read the book of Revelation from chapter 6 to chapter 19 and go, ah, you know, that's, uh, that's a regional conflict. I'm talking about the destruction of ultimately almost three-quarters of the population of the world. We don't like to hear those kind of things. People wander around, I don't want to hear it. God says the way he's going to get the world's attention is by making sure that they know who's in charge. You know a good way to do that? Tear down everything that mankind puts his hope and trust in. So as the Antichrist rises, and he brings economic prosperity to the whole world, as the Antichrist rises, that globalist economy takes place. He brings in a global government. Well, the problem's too big for America. You've been hearing that lately? The problem's too big for America. We can't solve this on our own. We need to be more like Europe. We need to involve the Chinese. We, we need to make sure that our Russian partners, you remember our president saying that? Our Russian partners. I don't trust Russia any further than I can throw it. And that's not very far. Not because I don't like Russian people. Because I know what my Bible says. My Bible says they're on the wrong side. And they're going to remain on the wrong side. My Bible says they're not ever going to be on the right side as a whole. Not as, not as individuals. As a whole. Vladimir Putin is not our friend. Not because I don't like Vladimir Putin. Because my Bible says that in the very last days, those nations will gather together with Russia and they will come against Israel and that will usher in the very end of the world. It's what I see happening in the world right now. It says in verse 26, notice the pouring out of the Spirit now, and it says, and You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you, and my people shall never be put to shame. Does that sound like the Jewish people today yet? Mm, I don't think so. They're pretty much put to shame almost every day. Just two weeks ago on the floor of the U.N., completely ripped apart. world would be better off without them. And then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. For I am the Lord your God, and there is no other. And my people shall never be put to shame. Notice he repeats it. The focus is Israel, and the focus is them not, be putting the sh not being put to shame because they want the world to know, God wants the world to know, who God is. So Israel's not going to win because they are militarily superior. Israel's not going to prevail because they have superior military technology. Israel's not going to win because they have the Daimona nuclear power facility and they make their own nuclear weapons, which they still to this day 
will not actually confirm or deny. But they have their own nuclear weapons. They're not going to prevail in the last days because of that. They're going to prevail because God said they're going to prevail, and God said, I will do it for them. For I am the Lord your God, there is no other. And it shall come to pass afterward. Notice this. So there is an army that comes from the north. There is a battle that ensues. God protects the children of Israel, and he moves into their midst, and he says, afterward, I will pour out my spirit. The only way you can have the Spirit of God in you is to become a child of God. Amen? The only way you can do that is by professing Jesus Christ as Lord. You don't get it by going to church. You don't get it by church membership. You don't get it through a certain set of theological doctrines that you need to understand. You get it because Jesus Christ is Lord. Then the Holy Spirit comes into you and indwells you. Literally takes up residence. It actually says that the Holy Spirit abides in you tabernacles in you. And notice the march of the polysyndendon here. That's the use of the word and to link together thoughts for those that have missed that. And there is no other. And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. And on my men servants and my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and I will show wonders in the heavens, on the earth, blood, fire, pillars of smoke. It's naming crazy stuff. Blood, fire, pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon into blood, before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. So he's saying, when the time gets really short, you're going to see things that have never been seen before on the planet Earth. Signs and wonders in the heavens. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen? you remember that quoted by anybody in particular? Uh, that would be the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans in chapter 11. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know why he said that? Because... To this day, the children of Israel have not yet seen Messiah. They have not called upon the name of the Lord. And largely as a group, as a people group, as a nation, they are not a Christian nation. and The Spirit has not been poured out upon them yet. And it says the way that's going to happen is they're going to be attacked. And it's going to be a global attack. Romans chapter 11, verse 25, it says, For I did not desire, brethren, Paul writing that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until... Would you please circle that word? Until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Until the age of grace is over. Until the Gentiles have had their reign on this earth. Right now we're in the age of grace. We're in the time of the Gentiles. God's Spirit was given first to the Jew, amen, and then to the Gentile. And because of the rejection of Jesus Christ, blindness came upon the Jewish people. And they're blind to this day. You want to get somebody who's Jewish really upset with you, if they are in any way, shape, or form a practicing Jew, just talk to them about Jesus. It's all you got. Just mention Messiah. Do you think uh, Yeshua is, is Hamashiach? And they'll go, ah, ah. they'll wave their hands. They'll say no. Verse 26, And so all Israel will be saved as it is written. Who do you think he's quoting? The prophet Joel. When was Paul writing? Probably 80, 60 or so. Jesus has already come, died, risen again, been transfigured, headed back to heaven. 
And so he's speaking of a time that was future, even to the time of Jesus himself. So it's moved all the way from when Joel wrote, which likely was in 700 B.C., B.C.E. if you so choose, before the Christian era, or the common era. I just can't do it. It's B.C., it's before Christ, okay? You see what he's saying is, and he goes on, for the deliverer will come out of Zion, and he'll turn away the ungodliness from Jacob, for this is my covenant with them. I will take away their sins. So as Paul's writing, he says a couple of very strange things. All Israel is going to be saved. Well, that hasn't happened yet. If you link these things together, it says they're going to get saved after a massive battle that's going to involve most of what we know is the world. That hasn't happened. Then he goes on to tell, just in case you didn't get it, when I take away their sins. How are your sins taken away? By the blood of Christ. Amen? As you repent, He forgives and cleanses. Amen? Is there any other name under heaven whereby men may be saved? So unless you name Jesus Christ as Lord, your sins remain. So for every Jew who's not named Jesus Christ as Lord, where do you think they stand? Pretty tough place with God. You see, what he's saying is there's going to come a point in time when the nation Israel is going to be a Christian nation. Not a Jewish nation. A Christian nation. Now, having been there, I can tell you that hasn't happened. Matter of fact, That's the antithesis of what's going on in Israel today. They're about as non-Christian as you can get. They're not even really Jewish, other than by tradition and heritage. But as far as a practicing Jew, most of them are not. They're kind of not anything. You see, as the Lord speaks in these things... He was really speaking of a time that the Jewish people would would be endued with the Holy Spirit, just like what happened in Acts chapter 2. And you guys know the story. Disciples are gathered together. They're waiting for the Spirit to come. The Spirit comes. And what we identify with that work that happened on the day of Pentecost, uh, there's a revival that comes. But can I tell you that there's a revival that's coming that's going to make that one pale in comparison? Amen? Can you imagine when the Jewish people come to faith in Christ, what's going to happen when that light bulb goes on? When the Spirit fills God's chosen people, whom He has loved and made covenant with from the very beginning, and now all of a sudden they actually know the Lord. So that down payment was made to to the body of Christ on the day of Pentecost. It was offered to the children of Israel. And that outpouring of the Spirit went forth. And if you know there in Revelation chapter 7, if you know that chapter, there's going to be 144,000 Jews that are going to get saved initially during the tribulation. 12,000 from each tribe. 144,000 of them. There are going to be these radical evangelists that are going to go all over the world, probably. Because they're now going to be filled with the Spirit of God. These converts... They're not going to be in church, I can guarantee you that, because the Antichrist is still going to be ruling and reigning on the earth. They're going to be roaming around getting martyred for Christ. I was listening today, and it's mind-boggling to us because we can't think this way. We've had it so good for so long. How many of you, raise your hand, how many of you in this room own more than one Bible? Almost 100%. Okay? Okay. I have 30. And that's not including the electronic ones. Yes, I have 30. If you go to China today, you cannot go to a bookstore and buy a Bible. It is illegal to possess a Bible. They have one-third of the world's population. If you go there, you can't even own a Bible. If you're in India which has another roughly one-quarter of the world's population. Owning a Bible can get you killed, get you beat to a pulp. 
Russia is largely still atheistic, either Russian Orthodox or atheist, one of the two. The world needs the Spirit of God poured out. It still has not been poured out in that way. The promise is here, though. It says afterward as people turn to the Lord, as they finally get it, mind-boggling what, what will actually happen. And if you notice the timing of all of this, uh, it, it seems to me that as these things unfold, that they're going to happen not just in rapid fashion, but they're going to actually increase in severity. Right now, it's kind of the world's kind of blah, isn't it? And you think about it, for, there's really kind of not much of anything happening right now. You realize that your Bible says that in the very last days, there'll be a time of peace directly before it gets really bad. We've had the longest time in the last 600 years without a major conflict on, on the earth for the last 50 years. It's where we are. And that's not saying that some of the things that have been going on in the world have been good, but they're not major global conflicts. And yet your Bible says there'll be a time of peace and then major global conflict. So the spirit is poured out. A down payment is made. Acts chapter 2. It's interesting, you know, there's 120 guys there in that, in that group. And they went on, and then there was 3,000 that Peter preached to the following day, and they got saved. Amen? Now imagine this is a global thing. Imagine 144,000 Jewish evangelists. There was 120, and the day of Pentecost, the church grew to what it is today from the day of Pentecost. Imagine what's going to happen when all of a sudden the light goes on with the nation Israel. It's going to be a mind-boggling time to be alive. As you look at the timing of the last days in these scriptures that I have up here, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and 2 Peter chapter 3 both say the same thing. James, it kind of reminds us that, that there is going to be a generation that's going to be alive when the Lord returns, and they're going to know that they're the generation that was alive when the Lord returns. I want you to really think about some of that. When you, when you look at the world today, because it's going to go on, it's going to talk about you know signs in heaven and all of those kind of things. As we think on those things, we think on them with a rationality that says those are impossible. Can I tell you that evolution's impossible? Evolution is impossible. Okay, it is mathematically impossible. It is chemically impossible. It is impossible by the laws of thermodynamics. It goes against everything we know about the physical universe. Evolution is impossible. And yet people wander around all day, every day going, well, you know, I think we, you know, once we were chimpanzees. And, you know, we just all of a sudden kind of the thumbs turned around and they got to be opposable and, you know, we're just all good now. You see, we kind of pick and choose what we call impossible, huh? Amen? The world does. Probably some of you are a little more rational than that. I can tell you the first time that I, I, I looked at the chem, chemical components that make up the human body. And as I'm studying them and I'm realizing that when I look at, at the human body, chemicals don't arrange themselves. That's chemistry 101. Chemicals do not arrange themselves. You can set chemicals all day long in all kinds of complex mixtures, and they will not organize themselves. They will not add information to themselves. They will not become more organized, and they most assuredly will not multiply. So on the very basis of chemistry, statistics, I can tell you that most people believe in miracles because they believe that we got here by a blue-green algae somehow turning into goo and then ultimately into you. So we just pick and choose the miracles that we choose to believe in. So don't dismiss the things that Scripture says. Because people largely believe in the miraculous. Whether that miraculous thing that you believe in is Darwinian evolution, perhaps it's the Big Bang, that the world could be condensed down to something about the size of a bowling ball, and then that thing the size of a bowling ball actually explodes and it explodes exponentially beyond the speed of light, that it actually extends out and then one day will begin to collapse back in on itself, and through that it forms stars, star systems, planets, 
all the things that we know in the known universe, and that ultimately all of those gases and things that collected that basically came from a couple of different molecules of hydrogen that somehow we got here, people believe in miracles. So when your Bible says there are going to be strange things that happen with the sun and the moon, that's kind of small potatoes compared to believing that the Big Bang happened. Amen? It's not a stretch for me. I don't look at it and go, wow, that could never happen. Because I used to believe in Darwinian evolution. I used to believe that theoretical physics could explain almost everything that we know about the universe. I now know that's not true. So the miracles that I choose to believe in are the ones that God tells me about because he's been right 100% of the time. Charles Darwin, not so much. So, when these things happen, Peter said, men of Judea, these guys aren't drunk like you think they are. This, he actually says, this is that which the prophet Joel spoke of. They're not drunk. Nothing weird going on here. This is the work of the Spirit. Hebrews chapter 1 says, God in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophet has in these days spoken to us by his son. Second Timothy says that know this in the last days perilous times will come. Second Peter chapter 3 says knowing this in the last days scoffers will come. People won't believe what the Bible plainly states. I don't know about you. I believe what the Bible plainly states. Now, I'm banking on the rapture of the church because I'm not planning on being here for the tribulation. So if you're a mid-tribber or a post-tribber, I I feel sorry for you, but uh, we can debate that part of theology later. But I know this. This world's going to come unraveled. That's what your Bible says. I know this, that there are going to be global solutions offered in the very last days and people are going to jump all over it. Because they're going to look at the problems that are going on in the world and they're going to go, man, we have to all band together. We need a global government. We need a global monetary system. Because, man, our currency just stinks. So what do you have right now? Is it the Chinese yuan? Is it the American dollar? Is it the euro? What's the global currency? You see, it used to be very plain. It was the United States dollar, period. That was the global currency. Everything was measured by the dollar. Well, now because we're in actuality about $56 trillion in debt, you can talk about the 17 actual if you want, but if you look at the things that we have to pay for already, that we've already promised to people like Medicare, Medicaid, and by the way, you can go to the government accounting office, go to the GAO, look it all up for yourself. You can just type in a little Google search there. You look at the national debt clock, you're going to find out it's pushing $60 trillion. To give you an idea, that is approximately four times our gross domestic product annually. If you know anything about interest, that means you'd have to get 300% interest on the gross domestic product just to break even. Probably not going to happen. But i got a solution for you. We'll merge all of our monies together. We'll have Antichrist bucks. <laughs> have little pictures of the Antichrist on them. And, and because that's kind of cumbersome and nobody wants to, you know, really have a picture of the Antichrist on them, we'll just make a little chip and it can go in the back of your hand or your forehead. And you can just scan yourself when you go in to buy something. And without it, you're not going to be able to buy because we're going to have global currency. And oh, by the way, you know that whole Jesus is the way and the truth and the life thing? Mm, we don't like that anymore because that's exclusive. That is not tolerant enough, so we're just going to change that. You see, what it says is that the church is going to be tested in the last days. We're going to be tested to see what we're made out of. You're going to cave in, you're going to give in, you're going to give up. You see, there's a harvest to be had. The moon, the stars... 
crazy things are going to happen. We got one of the largest comets to circuit through our solar systems heading this way. We've had some asteroid near misses. You know, you get all those things, you, you start thinking about it. You know, it was wisely said by Albert Einstein, it, it is what we don't know that we don't want to know. He, he was looking at the universe going, man, if we realize how precarious our position was in the universe, we don't actually really want to know how bad it is. Because some asteroid comes streaking through space, this planet could be over in about two seconds, just gone. We don't even think about that. So when God says, well, I'm going to pour out my wrath on the earth, and then I'm going to make a new heaven and a new earth, I don't have any problem believing that. Because I believe he made the first universe. And I believe he made the first earth. And I believe he made the heavens. And I believe he made you and I and all the animals on this planet. So I don't have any problem believing that God can do what God says he can do. So God's going to release some dramatic prophetic signs in the very last days that we're going to look at and just be in amazement over it. They're going to be cosmic. Haggai said that. Jesus himself in Luke 21, Matthew 24. The book of Revelation is filled with them, especially in chapter 6 and chapter 8. You look at what God says about the, the very last days. It's going to be some crazy stuff. Now you know why Jesus said, don't worry, for I have overcome the world. You see, we, we shouldn't be wandering around going, oh man. We should be wandering around going, Jesus is the man. He's got a cure for what ails the world. And as you look at these signs in the heavens here in Joel chapter 2, it says the same thing in chapter 3, by the way. Luke 21, Jesus said this. He said, there will be signs in the sun, the moon, the stars. The earth will distress of the nations. With perplexity, the sea, the waves, roaring men's hearts will be failing them from fear in the expectation of these things, for there will be powers of heaven that will be shaken. He goes on to say that there's going to be great earthquakes, things that are going to happen that you and I look at, as I shared with you, and we'll get into a whole bunch more of this on New Year's. As you look at the increase of things like earthquakes, tsunamis, what everyone calls natural disasters, if you look at your insurance policy, you're going to find out if you have homeowner's insurance, there are things called acts of God. Isn't it funny that we blame God, but we don't give Him credit? It's like he's responsible for all the bad stuff, but not the good things. You know, we call those natural disasters or acts of God. You know, there's been a 1,000% increase in the last 10 years of natural disasters, acts of God, on a global scale. It's what Jesus said would happen. Great earthquakes in various places, famines, pestilences, fearful sights, great signs in heaven, Luke 21 tells you. But... Here in chapter 2 of the book of Joel, it says that there's going to be a deliverance of the Jewish people. Right now, it looks like they're going to get wiped out, not delivered. Amen? Think about it. You have to put it into perspective. Anytime you think about Israel, just think about San Bernardino County and realize that Israel is about that size. San Bernardino County is actually a little bit larger than Israel. It's crazy. It's crazy. And yet the whole world hates them. But God says, I'm going to deliver them. I'm going to harvest their souls. I'm going to fulfill what Paul said in Romans. I'm going to fulfill what Joel said. They rode almost 800 years apart, by the way. I'm going to fulfill what Zechariah said. And in the meantime, all these things are going to happen. Earthquakes, fire, Blood, pillars of smoke. When you see those things, look up. For your Redeemer draws near. Amen? That's what your Bible says. Sometimes when we think on these things, we get a little bit wigged out over it. If you know your Bible, First Thessalonians tells us, He's not appointed us unto wrath, amen, but unto salvation. So you don't really have to worry about it. What you have to worry about is making sure that everybody else knows Jesus. That's why you've been left here in the first place. And so he says, 
as we close up. Though these things will happen, one day all Israel will be saved. Tremendous, tremendous revival. We know what lies ahead because we know what our Bibles say. We know where the world's going because we know what our Bible says. We know the spirits at work in the world because we know what our Bible says. We know that we walk in truth because we know what our Bible says. The Spirit's going to be poured out on Israel. And it just might be really soon. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time tonight. and pray that no one would leave with a sense of fear. God, but with a sense of resolve to know Christ and Him crucified for the remission of sin. Lord, that we would walk in your ways, that we'd walk in the Spirit. That, God, our lives would be marked by Christ-like living. Lord, that we'd stop compromising with the world. Lord, that we'd be bold witnesses. Wherever we find ourselves, would there be a little bit of Jesus there because we're there. Lord, would you help us to, to speak your name. Lord, the world's desperate for answers, and we have the answer. It's Maranatha, the Lord comes. And Lord, one day you are going to peek your head through those clouds. Lord, we're not worried, we're excited. But we know that the world is going to go through some desperate times. And we pray that the church would be busy about your business. As we await your return, Lord, may we be found with our lamps filled, our wicks trimmed, ready for what you have for us. We bless you. We praise you. We thank you. We ask all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.